Well, thank you so much for being here this morning and uh, worshiping together with us. We're glad that you have joined us and uh, are participating with us this morning in the worship of our great God. It's been a good weekend. Uh, Hopefully you had a great time on Thanksgiving Day and giving thanks to the Lord, not just on Thanksgiving Day, but every day, and hopefully had a chance to to celebrate Thanksgiving with family and friends. It was a great Thanksgiving afternoon. The Buffalo Bills won their game. It's a fantastic Saturday. Ohio State got destroyed yesterday. I'm not a Ohio State fan. I'm, I'm a Florida Gators fan, so I don't have room to talk. But um, don't leave because I said that. Uh, it was a tough one yesterday. I don't know if you're a Browns fan. It's not going to look good today either, I don't think. You know, I was reading some headlines after Ohio State lost yesterday and people talking about the head coach saying he needs to go. He needs to go. I don't know what you think of Ryan Day. It doesn't really matter. But I was reading all kinds of headlines of changes that need to be made. This is two years in a row that the team up north, Michigan, say their name, uh, has beat Ohio State in back-to-back years. And I think it's the first time maybe in forever that that's happened. I don't even know. Uh, But there's all kinds of headlines right now following that Ohio State game yesterday of things that need to change and coaching that needs to change and directional changes that need to be made and personnel changes that need to be made and recruitment changes that need to be all kinds of chaos because of that rivalry game being lost. And they're pointing that something isn't right, something's wrong, something needs to be adjusted or changed. And I share that with you, one, because I just love to gloat when Ohio State loses, but also... Because it, it directly is in line with what our series is, is focused on as we're in 1 Corinthians as we look at course correction. Course correction. The Apostle Paul is writing to believers in Corinth who were embracing things, embracing lifestyles, embracing issues of sin and decisions they were making that were not honoring to Christ. Paul writes to them and he writes to them as a, a desire to see a course Correction to see them make necessary changes so that they can begin to walk in a manner that is worthy of the Lord, to be able to walk in a way that is obedient before God. And so uh, already Paul has established this as we look at chapter 1 in the first couple weeks, and we're going to see Paul now uh, again beginning to remind them of what was true of their salvation and of the sacrifice of Jesus as he wants them to make corrective changes in their walk with Christ. Their testimony for the Lord needed to be seen as pure and right and true, and there were changes that need to be made because what they were producing or what their lives were producing was not in line with what should be true of those that are redeemed in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And if we're honest... In our own personal lives, isn't that a necessary evaluation for our own lives of course corrections that need to be made as we seek to follow and honor the Lord? I I believe as we read throughout this letter and we read throughout Paul's instruction, there'll be a lot of points of time in this instruction where we would say, man, I, I need to hear that. I need to take heed to that. I need to understand that. And I need to make these changes as well. This morning we're going to be in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 18 to 31. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, 18 to 31. You can follow along uh, in your seats uh, with your copy of God's word. We want to begin reading in verse 
18 this morning as we continue this series and look at this great passage of Scripture. Uh, You can follow along in your copy of God's Word, beginning with verse 18. Paul's writing to the believers here in Corinth, and he says, For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. For Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles, but to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to the worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. Because of him you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. It's a fantastic portion of God's word as we close out chapter 1 of Paul's letter to the Corinthian believers here. And this morning, what I would like to do is, is, as we look at this passage, give us five truths from the passage, then give you some questions to consider, and then some actions to take. Let's look at these truths. Truth number one, the gospel is foolishness to those who are lost. The gospel is foolishness to those who who are lost. Look again, verse 18 and 22 and verse 23 says, the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. Verse 22, for Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles. Paul's making something abundantly clear for the believer in Christ here. There's a proper perspective and understanding that the believer in Christ must have concerning the gospel of Jesus. And and the understanding we have to have is that as we preach Christ crucified, As we preach the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, as we proclaim the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ, there has to be this understanding and recognition that what we are preaching and what we hold to, what we believe, is foolishness to those who are lost, as it would be for you and I. Apart from Christ, apart from God opening our eyes to the truth of the gospel, uh, we didn't necessarily feel like we needed the gospel. We didn't necessarily feel like we needed forgiveness or that we necessarily needed the grace of God. So many individuals that are are trusting in themselves or their own works or their own goodness, they play this comparison game. And, And I used to do this prior to knowing Christ. 
That I would always compare my spiritual state or standing before God to the person who was far worse than me. So sometimes there's this false comfort that individuals receive when they think, well, listen, I'm clearly not as bad as that guy, so I must be okay. And the idea that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and and the idea that the wages of sin is death for everyone, the idea that all of mankind is under the judgment and wrath of God, and that there is eternal damnation on the lost on the one that rejects Christ, that they will be recipients of the wrath of God for all of eternity. That is foolishness and folly to those, the Bible says, that are perishing. To those that are lost and do not know Christ, it is foolishness to them. They don't see any value in the gospel. They don't see any value in your relationship with Jesus, in my relationship with Christ. It's of no value to them. Paul wants them to understand this. And it's important we understand that because have you ever shared the gospel or shared with someone about Christ and and they're like, yeah, that's ridiculous. I don't want anything to do with that. That's so stupid. You think, how could they possibly think that? But we need to understand that the gospel is foolishness to those who are lost. When I was younger, I used to collect baseball cards. And anytime I would cut grass, I had a paper route. If I cut grass for people, uh, any work that I did where I would receive any kind of compensation as a kid, if I got birthday money or any money for anything like that, I wanted to go right to the baseball card shop. And uh, it's in Hermitage, Pennsylvania. I, I was there, oh, several months ago just for nostalgia. I went, went by it and saw it was still in business. And I thought, how in the world is that guy still in business? All he does is sell baseball cards. And sure enough, he was still in business. And I walked into that store and it kind of brought back memories, the smell and, and the layout. And it's the same guy that's there from when I was a kid, you know, 25, 30 years ago. But I remember when I was collecting baseball cards, I would always want to look at baseball card shows for Mickey Mantles and for uh, Roger Maris and Joe DiMaggio and all these guys. And I remember how devastated I would always feel when my dad told me that when he was a kid growing up, they used to take Mickey Mantle cards and Joe DiMaggio cards and put it in the spokes of their bicycle tires so that it would make some noise as they like wrote. How many of you did that? I'm just curious with baseball cards. A lot of you. And when my dad would tell me that, it would be devastating. I'd be like, Dad, what are you thinking? And, and he's like, listen, we didn't know what we had. That's exactly how it is with the world and the gospel of Jesus Christ. They don't know what they have in front of them. They're blinded to it. And God has called you and I as followers of Christ to proclaim the good news of Jesus, to proclaim what it is that we have. The power of the gospel. But you understand for those that are lost, that are blinded to the truth, it's meaningless to them. It's foolishness to them. Romans chapter 9, Paul said, what shall we say then in verse 30 to 33? The Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness have attained it. That is a righteousness that is by faith. But that Israel who pursued a law that would lead to righteousness did not succeed in reaching that law. Why? Because they did not pursue it by faith, but as it, if it were by works. They have stumbled over the stumbling stone. As it is written, behold, I am laying in Zion a stumbling stone, a rock of offense. And whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. The Jews seeking after a sign, seeking after something more. And just a stumbling stone and a rock of offense is the gospel. The cross is foolishness. Matthew chapter 12. It's so amazing in Matthew 12 The Pharisees and scribes 
after seeing Jesus heal a man with a withered hand, he was doing miraculous things. And some of the scribes and Pharisees in Matthew 12, verse 38, answered him saying, Teacher, we wish to see a sign from you. This always baffles me. He just was performing miracles, demonstrating that he is the Son of God doing things that they had never seen before and teaching in a manner they'd never heard before and, and yet blinded to who it was that was doing these things right in front of them. Their eyes were blinded. They said, teacher, we wish to see a sign from you. And Jesus answered them, an evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth." Jesus is making this point and understanding it. They're seeking a sign. They're seeking something more, and, and nothing more will be given. The, the revelation of Jesus Christ is enough. But it's foolishness to those who are lost. And this really should, in some ways, alarm us, and at the same time, in some ways, serve as a good reminder for us when we share the gospel of Jesus Christ with people. They need to know the truth of the gospel but we also have to have this understanding that there is blindness there until God would open their eyes to who Jesus is. It's foolishness to those who are lost. For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. Number two, the gospel should be everything to those who are saved. The gospel should be everything to those who are saved. The message of the cross should be everything to those who are being saved. Again, verses 18 to 21, the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. Truly followers of Jesus, it is the power of God. I'm not ashamed, Paul said, of the gospel, because it is the power of God unto salvation for everyone who believes. We know what we have, and it should be so meaningful to us. And to the, to the world, certainly it's foolishness. Because they don't belong to God. They don't know God. But to we who are saved and being saved, it should be everything to us. If you come into my office at the church here, I have this item in my office on my shelf. It's a, it's a Buffalo Bills football helmet. I'm a big Buffalo Bills fan. And this helmet has a signature on it. Uh, it's Thurman Thomas. Some of you know who Thurman Thomas is. He's a Hall of Fame running back for the Bills. Uh, one of the greatest running backs ever to play the game, okay? And uh, he signed this, Thurman Thomas, number 34, Hall of Fame, class of 2007. So if you come in my office, I have this on my shelf. And shortly after getting this item, I, I was telling everybody about it. Like any, anytime anybody was like, hey, come in my office, I gotta show you something. And I'd bring people in and I'd show them it. Now, to the football fan, um, they would see it and they'd be like, oh, that's a sweet helmet. I would tell them about Thurman Thomas and they didn't know who Thurman Thomas was. They're like, that's great. Like they didn't really care necessarily because they don't know who Thurman Thomas is. But, but I showed this to one of our missionaries, Josh Whitman, who's a Buffalo Bills fan as well. And so I was telling Josh about it and showing Josh and Josh was like, that's awesome because he's a Bills fan and he knows who Thurman Thomas is. If you're not a football fan, this means nothing to you. If you're a football fan and you don't like the Bills or Thurman Thomas, it means nothing to you. Uh, if you don't know who that is, it means nothing to you. But if you know who that is and you see this, you think it is awesome. And I put it on display in my office on the shelf it can't be missed like it's when you walk in my door it said and it's like on the top shelf on my thing kind of angled so you can see the signature and the date and everything else like that so when you come in you see this thing and I want people now listen 
There are plenty of people who see this, and when they walk in, it means nothing to them. It has no value to them, and they are not impressed. They're not football fans. They're not Bills fans. They don't even know who Thurman Thomas is. But to the football fan, to the Bills fan, and in particular to those who know Thurman Thomas is, this is impressive to them. This is why I'm sharing this with you. To the lost, to the world, to the enemy of God, the cross, the gospel is folly. It is foolishness. But to the one who knows Jesus, to the one who has been a recipient of the grace of God, to the one who has been made alive in Christ, it should be everything to us. It's that which we don't hide. Jesus said, a city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden. Let your light shine before men, that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father who is in heaven. If you know Jesus, if you've been made alive through the gospel of Jesus Christ, it should be everything to you. It's that which you want to talk about, you want to converse about. It's that which you allow to impact the way that you live the way that you think, your obedience, your daily living, your thoughts, your words, and your actions. First Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 13, Paul said, And we thank God constantly for this, that when you received the word of God, you heard from us. You accepted it not as the word of men, but as what it really is, the word of God, which is at work in you believers. There's a recognition that this is from God. Almighty God creator and sustainer of the universe. Second Peter 1, 19 and 21, Peter said, we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed to which you will do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place, knowing this, that no prophecy of scripture comes from someone's own interpretation, for no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. We believe no Welcome, embrace, and share the gospel of Jesus Christ because it should be everything to those who are saved. If you have been made alive by the gospel, you should be so moved by the gospel of Jesus Christ that it is everything to you. You know, we can look all around the world at brothers and sisters in Christ who are willing to die to share the gospel of Jesus Christ because it is of just greater value to them. Is it of greater value to you and I as well? Someone has once said there are so many that are willing to die for the gospel of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ was willing to die for you. Will you live for him? Are we truly living for Christ? Number three, man's wisdom and power are not comparable with the wisdom and power of God. This really shouldn't have to be said, but I think it's a good reminder because don't sometimes we find ourselves guilty of getting all wrapped up in what people think rather than what God says? Uh, don't sometimes we get all wrapped up in thinking about the opinions of men rather than the truth of God's word? I know I can. Sometimes we can just be, be paralyzed by the opinions of men. Sometimes we can just be absolutely thwarted and, and swayed to the right or to the left because of the quote-unquote wisdom of men rather than the truth of God's word. And, and we've said this before and we'll say it again, that when God's word is clear on something, that word goes 
We obey the word of God, not the words of men. Man's wisdom and power are not comparable with the wisdom of God. Look again, verse 19, 20, and 25. He says, it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. Verse 20, where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? Verse 25, for the foolishness of God. This is an incredible statement of truth here. Just process this. The foolishness of God is wiser than men and the weakness of God is stronger than men. The foolishness of God is wiser than men and the weakness of God is stronger than men. And again, this is a statement that he's not in any way, shape, or form saying that God is ever foolish. He's not. And he's not in any way saying that God is ever weak. He's not. But the point that Paul is making in this passage is that even if it could be said that there was ever a time that God was foolish or lacking, he still is far greater wise than man. And even if there was ever a time that it could be said that God was weak, which is never, but even if God ever had a moment of weakness, which he never has and he never will, even then he would be stronger and mightier than the strongest of men. He's he's putting in a comparison here. There really is no comparison here. Maybe you've said this to people before. Maybe in you were, when you were younger, you bragged a little bit about your skill set or your strength. You're like, listen, even on my worst day, I could beat you. We, we understand phrases like that. This is what Paul's saying is even God on his worst day, which he never has a worst day. It's not even God on a bad day. He never has a bad day. But even if he did, he's still far greater than the best that man could ever offer or think or provide. That's the God that we serve. So why is it, church, that so often we can be guilty of trusting in the ways, the wisdom, the power, the strength of men who is incomparable with the wisdom, strength, and the ability of our God? He's far greater. He's far stronger. He's far wiser. He is just greater than men, completely greater. Uh, I, was, I was interested uh, in looking up, you know, because the FIFA World Cup's going on right now. Some of you are really into that. Some of you are watching it. Some of you don't even know it's happening, okay? But uh, the United States of America has had two matches already. Both have been a draw. Uh, their first match was against Wales, and it was a draw, one to one. And then they had a second match against England that was a draw, zero, zero. No one scored in that. Uh, but they play again, in case you're wondering, they play again on Tuesday against Iran. If they win that match, they'll go into the qualifying round of 16. Uh, so they got to win. They win, they're in uh, for the qualifying round of 16. But I was interested about uh, lopsided scores in the World Cup. And the most lopsided score that I found uh, for the World Cup is a World Cup qualifying match. Uh, qualifying match in 2001 between Australia and American Samoa. And the final score of that soccer match, FIFA World Cup qualifying match 2001, was that Australia scored 31 goals and America Samoa had zero. That match ended 31 to zero. Now, if you are a soccer person, if you watch soccer, you know that is unprecedented. 31 goals. That does not happen. It can't happen, but it did. 31-0 in this FIFA World Cup qualifying match. 31, that's what you would call a beat down, right? That's what you would call a serious beat down. Here's the reality. If you look at that score and you watch that match, the American Samoa in that match, they were out gunned, out man, overpowered. They were just completely dominated in every aspect. They were uh, overmatched. Listen, we need to understand how 
overmatched. How overmatched, how outgunned we are in comparison with the authority and power of God. How overmatched the world is in comparison with the authority and power of God. Do you understand today as a child of God, our God never loses. He is never deficient in any regard. He is fully capable, powerful, knowledgeable, wise, and present in every way. What if we really understood and believed that? Man's wisdom and power are not comparable with the wisdom and power of God. In 1 Corinthians chapter 3, a little later on in this same letter, Paul's going to say in verses 18 to 20, let no one deceive himself. If anyone among you thinks he is wise in this age, let him become a fool that he may become wise. For the wisdom of this world is folly with God, for it is written, he catches the wise in their craftiness, and again, the Lord knows the thoughts of the wise, they are futile. God even would say that the wise in this world are foolish and futile in the eyes of God. There is no comparison. Who are you trusting in today? Who are you serving? Whose opinion really matters? Who really has authority in your life? Man's wisdom and power are not comparable with the wisdom and power of God. Number four, God makes the incapable capable so that he alone receives glory. I love this. I love this truth. God makes the incapable capable so that he alone receives glory. The glory. Look at verses 26 to 29. For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to the worldly standards. Let me stop for just a moment because have you ever felt inadequate? Have you ever felt like you don't measure up? Have you ever felt like, man, I would love to serve, but certainly God would not want to use me? I don't have the skill set, I don't have the talent, I don't have the ability. I don't have the words, I don't have, I don't have, I don't have, I don't have. That is an entirely man-focused argument, isn't it, when it comes to our service to the Lord? Because you and I would be 100% correct in saying that if it was dependent upon you and I. But God has this incredible ability to make the incapable capable so that he alone receives the glory. If you're a follower of Jesus and you were receiving this letter and it says, consider your calling, brothers, not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many of you were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. You look at this and Paul would set out what the worldly qualifications were. Are you wise in the eyes of men? Are you powerful in the eyes of men? Are you of noble birth in the eyes of men? In other words, do you have credentials and qualifications and, and things that would give you authority and prestige and honor and power in the eyes of men? No, you don't. Verse 27, but God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. 
God chose what is low and despised in the world, even the things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And he says in this passage that God doesn't go after the wise and the rich and the powerful, and God doesn't go after those that in the eyes of the world have all of this honor and prestige, and God doesn't go after the capable. He doesn't need the powerful, the wise, the rich, He doesn't need those that think in their own strength and in their own abilities are fully capable. No, God takes what is incapable. He makes it capable so that he alone receives the glory. And do you realize that is what he has done in your life and my life as a follower of Christ? God takes what is incapable and makes it capable for the glory of himself so that he receives that glory. And this is what Paul's reminding these believers. He's saying to them, listen, you didn't need all of the credentials and qualifications. You didn't need wisdom in the eyes of the world and power in the eyes of the world and honor in the eyes of the world because the world's wisdom is foolish in the sight of God. The world's power is weakness in the sight of God. That which the world thinks is important is folly to God, and that which is truly important in the eyes of God is folly to the world. So you know what God did? God took those that the world would never think were capable, and he made them capable. And the only one who can receive glory for that is him, because it is not our power, our authority, our ability, our know-how. It's his, his power, his authority, his grace, his enablement that we can serve and honor him for his glory and his glory alone. God takes what is incapable and makes it capable so that he alone receives the glory. Do we truly understand that this morning? You can look at the writers of scripture. Look at the apostles that were called by God. These men that were called, the women that were called to serve him. They were not people in high honor and prestige in the eyes of men. Sure, a couple of them maybe. But he says in the passage, not many, not many of you were wise according to worldly standards or the world's ways. And that's exactly what God wanted. Because there's no boasting available here. Only in Christ. Isn't that magnificent? Isn't that incredible? I love that our God has done what only our God could do. Now, this might step on your toes a little bit. Because if we believe number four, then we also have to believe number five. In Christ, we have been made wise, strong, noble, and capable. And if we believe that, We have something to do. And we no longer have an excuse. In Christ, we have been made wise, strong, noble, and capable. Look at verses 30 and 31 and let this sink in. (laughs) This is so good. Verses 30 and 31. And because of him, you are in Christ Jesus. That's the position you or I are in today as followers of Jesus. We are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that as it is written, let the one who boasts, 
boast in the Lord. You and I have had a positional change in the sight of God. We are no longer lost. We are no longer condemned. We are no longer guilty. We are no longer his enemies. We are no longer those that are foolish. We have been made wise in Christ. We have been made forgiven in Christ. We've been made capable in Christ. We've been made empowered in Christ. We've been made forgiven in Christ. We are now children of God. We are alive. We are in Christ. That's who we are now. So God makes the incapable capable. In Christ, we've been made capable, wise, strong, noble. We have been empowered by Christ. And so listen, we are without excuse as followers of Jesus. There's no viable excuse to stay silent about the gospel. There's no viable excuse to not be serving Christ. I don't have enough ability. Certainly you don't, but Christ has enabled you. I don't have the words to speak clearly, but God does. I don't have the ability and talents. I'm not in the eyes of the world someone that's to be honored. Great, because it's not about the world. Anyhow, it's about Christ. And he receives the glory. He receives the honor. I love this passage in Jeremiah chapter 1, the prophet Jeremiah called by God to be a prophet to the nations. And and Jeremiah was very young in Jeremiah chapter 1, verses 4 to 10. It says this, now the word of the Lord came to me, Jeremiah, saying, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you, and before you were born, I consecrated you, I appointed you a prophet to the nations. We use this passage as a great text, a reminder that even before we are born, God knows us, he forms us, he understands us in the life that is present, even in the womb. But he goes on to say, then I said, ah, Lord God, behold, I do not know how to speak, for I am only a youth. God tells Jeremiah, Jeremiah, before you were formed in your mother's womb, I knew you. I knew you, and I appointed you to be a prophet to the nations. I had a work for you to accomplish. I had a work for you to do. Jeremiah says, God, listen, I'm, I'm but a youth. I don't have the words to say. He says, I don't know how to speak. I'm only a youth. Verse 7 Of Jeremiah 1, but the Lord said to me, do not say I am only a youth, for to all to whom I send you, you shall go, and whatever I command you, you shall speak. Do not be afraid of them, for I am with you to deliver you, declares the Lord. Then the Lord put out his hand and touched my mouth, and the Lord said to me, behold, I have put my words in your mouth. See, I have set you this day over nations and over kingdoms to pluck up and to break down, to destroy and to overthrow, to build and to plant. Jeremiah says to God, God, you've called me to be a prophet to the nations. I can't do it. I can't speak. I'm a youth. I'm young. I don't have the words to say. People aren't going to listen to me. They're not going to respect me. I don't have that authority. I don't have that power. And God's answer to Jeremiah is, do not be afraid. Do not say, I am but a youth. Was he a youth? Yes. But you know what God says to Jeremiah? It doesn't matter because you aren't the one doing it anyhow. I am. And friends, I want to tell you today as a child of God, what God has called you to do, he will equip you to do. What God has called you to do, he will empower you to do. What God has called you to do, he will be with you to do. And what has he called us to do? He's called us to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. 
He's called us to go into all the world and preach the gospel to every living creature, to baptize in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, to be his ambassadors to a world that is lost, to be those that would represent Christ, to be imitators of God as his dear children, to walk in a manner that is worthy of the gospel by which we've been saved. And if you're like me, there are times that you're going to stand there and be like, I can't do that. I don't have the ability, I don't have the power, I don't have the know-how, I don't have the wisdom. And that is a perfect position to be in because God isn't asking or calling you and me to do it in our strength, in our power, in our ability. It's in his. And so you and I should be the boldest, the most energized, excited, and anticipating people on the face of the earth because we go in the power of God and not our own power. We go with the message of the gospel which transforms people's lives. And God, who has made you capable, will every time be faithful to what he's called you to do. Will you go? Will you be used of him? Or will we, and I include myself in this, be content to make excuses of why we can't, which is completely centered on us, rather than why we can, which is completely centered on Christ. And this is what he says in verse 30, so that as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. In Christ We've been made wise, strong, noble, capable. That's what he has done. That's what he has done. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 1 verse 17 from last week, For Christ did not send me to baptize but to preach the gospel, and not with words of eloquent wisdom, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. It is not about you and I. It is about Christ from beginning to end. Questions to consider quickly as we come to a close. Number one, is the gospel foolishness or is it everything to you? Is it foolishness or is it everything? We really don't have to answer. We can look at your life, right? You can look at my life to answer that question. Number two, are we depending on God's wisdom and power or our own? Who or what are we depending on as we walk in this world and in this life? Number three, are we exercising the capability we have in Christ so that he receives the glory? Are we walking in a manner that is worthy so that he receives the glory? Let me give us three quick actions to take, and we're going to close. Number one, if the gospel is everything, church, share it. Don't keep silent about it. You're like, well, what do you mean by share it? Listen, do you work next to someone that doesn't know Christ? Model Christ to them. And when opportunity comes to speak of Christ, speak of Christ with them. When you're eating at your lunch break in the break room and someone asks, why are you so happy all the time? Don't say because your sandwich is good that day. Tell them it's because Christ has made you alive. Tell them it's because you have the best news. That as bad as the world gets, the good news of the gospel does not change. Speak, capable, 
do something. Do something. We're going to close with a song this morning that speaks of Christ being worthy of it all. He is worthy of it all, of all of our lives, of all of our commitment, of all of our focus, of all of our time, of all of our money, of all of our efforts, of all of our strength. He is just plain worthy of it all. And if God has made you capable, which he has in Christ, do something. And as we sing this song, maybe you need to make a commitment at your seat. Maybe you need to come forward and make a commitment. Can I ask you to do something as a child of God? That do something might mean it's time to share the gospel with the one that God has laid on your heart for so many years. It might mean that God has given you gifts to serve and you aren't serving. And you've sat and thought, man, I'm not capable. You are in Christ. And so maybe you need to make a commitment before the Lord today. Say, Lord, I'm going to serve you. I'm going to quit putting it up. I'm serving you because you've made me capable, so I'm going to do something. I am going to live for Christ. Maybe you didn't make that commitment today. Would you make that commitment today before the Lord? If you're here today and you don't have a relationship with Jesus and the cross, the gospel has been foolishness to you, but God is opening your eyes that this is not foolishness. It is the power of God. Would you come forward and meet me right down front and I can share with you how you can have a relationship with Jesus today before you leave.